Welcome, everyone, to the CapsCorner.com podcast. CapsCorner.com, your source for Virginia sports. I am Brad Franklin, publisher of CapsCorner.com, coming to you live from the Blaisdell Franklin States in the west end of Richmond, where it is Wednesday, May the 3rd. Spring football is over. The second uh, live evaluation period of the spring for basketball recruiting is over. So lots of fun things to talk about, including... Uh, several commitments uh, if we want to get into that both on the football side and one on the basketball side as well which I know we're going to get into uh, before we do that let's go around and introduce everybody out in Arlington Justin Ferber's on the show how you doing buddy I am doing well how are you not too bad not too bad <laughs> um, uh, Dave is actually gonna hopefully join the show at some point um, as a small business owner myself I can attest to this but sometimes uh, work just gets in the way so he is dealing with a full store as we record this uh, on Wednesday early evening. So we might have David Spence for you. We might not. Um, you can also check out Justin's fine work at Justin underscore Ferber on Twitter. Uh, <laughs> he, like I did that. Nice. And Cavs, I like that. Cavs Quarter is also on Twitter. Cavs underscore Corner. Great place for our in-game updates, content items, and the occasional witty banter. Uh, we're going to start on the football side where um, <clears throat> the Cavaliers finished out their spring uh, on Saturday afternoon in a sun-bathed Scott Stadium. And I'm going to be honest, it was hot. Like, not like warm hot, but like hot, hot. Like, you know how, like, do you remember the Oregon game? Like, do you remember how hot it was that day? It was that hot. It was, it was like, dew point of, like, 84. It was nasty. Um, now, I think as the day wore on, maybe it didn't it didn't necessarily pack the punch, but I'd, I'm not used to being at a spring game or spring festival in this case. And sweating like that. Um, there, look, I, I can say this right. It's my podcast. Now, there's, there's, there's nothing holding me back. Um, it was unpleasant, but also too, I think in some ways, uh, helped to, uh, to sort of maybe even give the players something, some an extra obstacle. Like you're that was that was some serious work uh, on on Saturday, especially considering the number of plays that they ran. Uh, Ferber was unable to attend said football festival, much to my own chagrin, because selfishly I like uh, I like having somebody else in the press box. I can go, hey, who's that at right guard or who's that at right tackle because they don't wear numbers. Um, but I, I want to start here as we kind of wrap. We, we talk about the spring as a whole, not just the the sat- Saturday in in sp- in specifics, but but also the spring. Is there anything in in the spring that sort of uh, surprised you sort of disappointed you like when we when you look back on this spring and you and you and we move forward to the fall how, how do you how do we kind of encapsulate it what what, what kind of stood out to you and, and maybe what what kind of surprised you um over the course of these 15 practices well one of the things that i know that we talked about off you know off the podcast as a group uh has been the collective uh what's the word i'm looking for uh basically like the collective uh physicality of the team right and, yeah and where they are like physically so i mean last year we saw all the work that they had to put in before the season started as they switched coaching staffs to a coaching staff that had a totally different um you know training plan for the team and and where they wanted them to like what kind of team they wanted them to be physically and i mean that kind of manifested itself in their workouts in the in the spring and the summer and then into the fall where they had to you know go through all the will development stuff and and try to earn everything and um obviously it seemed very rigorous and 
I guess I wasn't really thinking about it, but it seems like the team is even in better shape now going into year two physically than they were last year, which really shouldn't come as a surprise. But if you look at some of the players, it's clear that, you know, what happened in the fall and into this spring, you know, over the winter has changed, you know, how some of the players look and, and how, you know, like, in, I don't want to say in shape because they're all in shape. But, right. I, can, I, can. Um, I mean, just like the the body types that they have and, and you know, like the, the collective speed of the team seems like it's in a better place than it was before. Um, I know specifically like Jordan Ellis the other day looked a lot like a step faster than he did um, previously. And, and honestly, I don't, I mean, he was kind of more of a physical back, but if he could be more of a multi-dimensional type back, like a Kevin Parks or somebody like that, I think that that would be promising. Um, even Kurt Bankard, I mean, he lost some weight. So, um, to try to you know get get a little more athletic and slim, um, and, and just I think the offense overall seemed pretty impressive. Um, it, I mean, it seems like they won the day a few times that the media was able to be there, and uh, I think that's promising because usually the defense is a little bit further ahead uh, in practices. But um, I think that that's encouraging, and I think the defense will be better just because of who they're bringing back. So. Yeah. I'm not as worried about that group as I was the offense, but I think what we heard from the offense was encouraging for sure. And I guess I'll let you take that and we'll cycle back <laughs> to disappointment. Yeah. Well, the thing that I think that I will put it to you like this. If the offense, if the, if the defense had been better than the offense, considering what the defense right now is lacking, you know, Tim Harris is, is playing, but he's not full tilt. Uh, Andrew Brown, not playing. Um, they're missing, you know, Malcolm Cook is still in the process of kind of getting reacclimated. Jordan Mack is still getting used to inside linebacker. Uh, they're they're still getting used to some pieces at at safety. Um, whether it's Juan Hill, Juan Thornhill as a starter, or Nick Grant and um, um, Chris Moore kind of playing the the twos. So there's some young kids that sort of need to step up. If the defense had been better than the offense, I think that would be a huge red flag, uh, considering where they are. You know, in terms of depth on the defensive line, in terms of health. Uh, so you kind of wanted to see the the um, the offense be better, and that's sort of the way we we saw it throughout the spring. I felt like every practice I saw, pretty much the offense carried the flag. Now, I will say on Binker, I actually started to write like a like a three takeaways or five takeaways kind of thing, and and I decided to kind of save it for the podcast because some of it was just consistent through the spring, and I think that was one of my positives or surprises is that I felt like the what there were there weren't a whole lot of up and downs for 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 Kurt even though maybe he wasn't as um as sharp on the deep ball Saturday as he had been earlier in the spring but i just think overall the offense was pretty consistent through the through the practices that we saw it certainly seems like from talking to the coaches that that seemed to be the the gist as well um i i think one positive that comes out of this is that you know even though you you, you have a feeling that the offensive line is going to move around a little bit um Jake Feeler is the center. Um, he seemed to be playing pretty well. And a lot of those runs, um, and I don't know if this says a lot about the nose tackle or what, but a lot of those runs were inside. Um, so that means good things for, for what he's doing in the middle. He was he was sort of you know, sort of in the zone um a little bit. And I, I felt like he was he was a uh, a nice uh, a nice find, so to speak, this spring was that okay? This you you know who your center is going to be. You got a feeling Jack English will be one of the tackles. You got a feeling Jack McDonald will be one of the guards. Now you're kind of close to cooking with some peanut oil, and I think that's where you want to be, knowing a lot of the things you know. I mean, like, look, they're going to add eight offensive linemen. Uh, defensive uh, on the defensive side of the ball surprises for me. 
I was a little bit surprised to see them moving Juwan Moye um, and Eli, excuse me, and uh, Jack Powers around as much as they did. Uh, sometimes they're sometimes they had Moye at tackle, some uh, nose tackle. Sometimes they had him at end. It just sort of depended on the package. I was also surprised that, uh, to to your point about physicality, like how big, and I mean, look, they were still moving too, but both Chris Peak, uh, Chris Peace, and um, uh, Malcolm Cook, both. I mean, they were just sort of flying around, and so. In a lot of ways, to me, that was sort of uh, indicative of, like you said, just sort of an off season that that seemed to, you know, to make uh, to make a lot of sense. Guys made a lot of gains, and I think it's it's important to sort of um, keep that in in mind. Oh, and look, Dave's here. Dave. Hey, it's good to be here, Brad. <laughs> I, li- I like making a dramatic entrance. Dramatic and in the middle. I mean, people would be sitting there like, whoa. Um, hey, better in the spring game unless I showed up. So. <laughs> Yeah, there won't be anybody to give you any flack about on the board. Okay, so we were just talking about uh, positives from the spring. We're talking about some surprises even. I had talked about uh, – Fer- Ferber's already already said his piece, so you can feel free to copy everything he said. But uh, I just finished talking about, like, um, on the offensive side, that they were they were consistent, that they were good, uh, that on the defensive – like, that basically, offensively, there didn't seem to be many peaks and valleys. Like, they were, con- they were consistent. Jake Feeler at center. And then on the defensive side, um, you know, that they were – Big guys are bigger, stronger, um, and that they're sort of they seem to all be filling in the, the same consistent roles. I mean, from beginning of the spring to the end, guys were kind of playing consistently. What were some things as we look back at the spring that sort of stand out for you or some positives um, for you about, about those 15 practices? I mean, I think you guys probably pretty pretty much covered my list here. Um, Moye kind of, I mean, I think Moye is probably the hands I mentioned him in a couple podcasts, but. It seems like he's the probably the favorite to start at nose tackle this year, which, you know, given where he was last year, I think that's that was surprising for me. Um, I don't know if that's a positive for the team or not. <laughs> we'll we'll see come come season time. The other the other thing that kind of surprised me is, given the way last year did the quarterback position, the fact that Ben Kurt essentially took, well, in the in the you know, spring festival, he took 100 percent of the snaps. Um, but during the spring itself, other than Cross getting some some works in that look, like there really wasn't much quarterback time split. And, you know, it makes sense now that you've seen him do well. But given where he was coming out of last season, if you'd have told me he'd gotten almost every rep this spring, I would have been a little bit surprised. Um, you know, there's not a whole lot of options on the roster. But, you know, we haven't talked about Sonny Abramson at all. And I don't really have any insight in that. And Cross, we kind of knew it was a project. So, Given where, given where Benkert was, I, I'm a little surprised about by that. Um, my last surprise and you know happy thing for the spring was given the number of plays they ran. I think Two J said 700 or something in that video today. Um, it's pretty surprising that the the thin off offensive line was able to get through the spring without significant injury. So you always have to be happy when that happens at a position of relatively little depth. So. On the negative side of things, I mean, we we can't we can't be, be totally positive because then we'll get people throw tomatoes at us. Um, anything that you saw Ferber that sort of dis, or heard about that disappointed you this spring? I mean, were, were did you want to see something that you didn't see? What, what when you look back at it, anything that disappointed you? I mean, honestly, the thing that kind of disappointed me the most, and I'm not saying it's anybody's fault. Um, I'm not blaming the coaches or anything, but. I'm, I'm, I was just kind of disappointed with the players that left. Um, 
not, you know, I mean, obviously they need to make the decision that's right for them, but I think that they're losing some guys that I thought if they didn't contribute this year in a big way, then they could contribute down the road, especially like Landon Word. Um, and you saw Matt Terrell play a little bit last year, so um, I think that he could have contributed. And, and David Eldridge, I mean, you saw flashes in practice. I mean, Brad can talk about this a little bit, but, I mean, he was a great practice player from what I saw. Like, we thought he was really going to emerge last year, but it never really developed into – into what we thought it would be. But, I mean, he has some explosiveness. So, I mean, I know it's not an on-the-field thing, but, I mean, I, I, I think they'll be okay. I mean, every program has attrition, and I don't think this is, like, a sign, a bad sign or anything like that. Um, it's just disappointing when you have guys that you see kind of potential in um, leave the program for whatever reason. And like I said before, I don't, I'm don't. i not trying to say that they shouldn't have, but um, it's just disappointing. Yeah, I, I, look, I, I appreciate Ferber kind of putting me on the spot like that. Um it's uh, <laughs> it's it, it's funny to me because I feel like in some ways um, I, I feel like David could have been a, a, a very integral piece if a couple things had happened. One, I, I think he would probably have needed to had there, there would have had to have been some either some jostling among the guys in front of him. Um, to open up an opportunity for him to really see the field consistently, or two, he would have had to continue, I think, to get bigger and stronger. I think blocking was a thing for him. That was, I mean, I'm not saying he was a bad blocker, but like when you have guys like um, like uh, Hasis Dubois and Joe Reed out there flattening dudes, um, I think that that was 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 probably um, a, a part of his game that kind of kept that held him back a little bit. And then watching Saturday. I meant I should have I should have talked about Joe Reed when I was talking about surprises. But watching Saturday and seeing um seeing the way that that um seeing the way that they used him in a in a variety of ways, I can almost I can almost say I could it would make a lot of sense to me if, if an upperclassman saw what they were doing with Joe Reed and said, "Well, why can't I get that?" Um and why why do why do you think that doesn't fit me? Now, that's not to say that that's exactly what what David saw. But it certainly it certainly would make sense to me as it, from a human standpoint. That being said, I think you're right. I think it is a disappointment they had some guys who left. Uh, I mean, you know, Landon Word was was in line. We talked about that one a lot. We talked about Eldridge. Um, I mean, in some ways, it's almost surprising to me that they didn't have more. But it is sort it's sort of disappointing that guys that you that you'd seen in the past uh, moved on. I think it's also at least somewhat disappointing that you weren't able to get um, R.J. Proctor work. Um, because he seems like a guy who's going to be a factor in the fall. And what's interesting to me about that is, is if, if Proctor ends up being sort of the type of player I think he can be at guard, then they might not need – like they need these three grad transfers for depth for sure, but like you might only have one of them starting. Um, because you could have Jack English, R.J. Proctor, Jake Feeler, um, uh, um, Jack McDonald, and then one of the grad transfers at tackle. And – I mean, hey, maybe that's the way it plays out, but it's certainly going to be important, I think, for Virginia to get Proctor back. So I, th- I think the fact that he wasn't able to go, I mean, it, sound, it sounded like he, he hurt him. He got the uh, foot injury, like, not too terribly long before camp started, or, excuse me, before spring started. So I think that, that, was, a, that was a disappointment for me just because I thought, one, having eight guys instead of seven would have been a big boost, uh, and certainly, two, because he seems sort of primed to, to kind of have a much bigger role. Dave, what about you? Any disappointments or anything uh, about – um, about spring, I mean, I think it's hard to be disappointed when your team was two and ten the previous year. Not not to be a jerk, but it kind of is, you know. Um, but the uh, I I was thinking about it. I mean, given what we saw from the offensive line, you know, 
what what I've read. Let me not say saw, but what what the reports were on the offensive line in, in the spring. Um, there were you know there was some improvement from a lot of guys, but so I think the equations change just because you have three grad transfers and so many freshmen coming in. If if we didn't have those th- three grad grad transfers coming in on the offensive line, I'd probably be a little disappointed where we were. Now I can. And hold that disappointment until we see how they blend in in the fall. Um, I would say my only real disappointment, other than word, you know, word would be the of the three, the one I was probably most upset to lose because I, I thought he <laughs> showed some real, real talent. Um, but I, I would say the defensive line, not having Brown able to go, um, you know, Brown and, and Eli are going to be huge, you know, to what we get out of that defensive line. So um, that'd be the. That would be really the only thing I can point to at this point, um, and hopefully that'll get better in the fall. But you know, as we've discussed it ad nauseum, you know, it's, it's going to be the lawns that make or break us this year. Speaking of uh, of people in red, uh, we I should have also mentioned Warren Craft because after he after he got had the concussion last year and then was, wasn't able to play for the rest of the season, the fact that he was that there was no announcement and then he was he was on the roster. Um, Continu- continuing to be on the roster, I thought was a good sign. And then when they said they were holding him out, I was I was wondering if it was a different injury or the same one. Uh, watching him at these practices in red, he, they're clearly holding him out. Um, still, it would seem for that concussion. Um, so it was a disappointment to me that he he hasn't that that he hasn't been able to go again because um, that generally that's not you know that for that type of injury that kind of long term um, that long term absence. Is is usually a bad sign. So I'm, I'm hoping that 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 that's able to clear up for him, and that he's able to be one that that he's 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 good to go in, in just in general, but also too that he's able to play because he can be a significant player for this team. I wonder if they're just holding him out of spring as a precaution um, versus you know because he was out there you know so what he's obviously there's there's still some sort of expectation that he'll be able to rejoin the team and be able to play again, um, but concussions are no joke. And, you know, when if it, we, for all we know, he's had several. So it's hard to say whether or not it was just the one situation or if it's been a lingering thing. But hopefully he'll be ready to go in the fall. And, and, and you know, obviously all the best to, to him um, as he continues to, to kind of work through that. Um, I guess I, the last question on the football side before we switch gears and, and talk hoops, I, I want to I just want to get a general feel for if. If this spring changed your expectations for the fall, and what I mean by that is not necessarily like, oh, you think they're going to win this many games or, oh, you think they're not, but more in terms of do you, do you feel like the team is in a better position than, than you maybe expected them to be as they enter the, the, the summer? Um, I'll, I'll go first on this one. I, I think they're better off offensively than I thought they would be. Um, it certainly seems like Ben Kirk has given them a, a, a nice stability, a nice sense of stability there at quarterback. You know, it's not. Um, you know, he was he was hitting the deep ball well. Um, he he's got a big arm. Uh, the his it, the issue's always been pocket presence, and I thought he was better this spring when I saw him. In, in that in that respect, I think that um, I liked what I saw from the younger defensive backs, um, and I think with some more time for them to both mature physically as well as to kind of get more comfortable, I'm really curious to see how they how they play uh this fall because i do think that them taking the strides in terms of their physicality in terms of adding weight and and being bigger is a really good sign but like i saw a moment from like nick grant that made me think he could play this year 
And I mean, like they got Quinn Blanding and Juan Thornhill back there. Like Grant, Grant is going to see the field, and, and I will not be surprised to see him make a lot of big plays. So for me, I wouldn't say it changed necessarily the expectation. It just, I guess, it confirmed for me that they're a little bit, they're on the right path, as as Two J said in that video I posted this afternoon. They're trending in the right direction, and that's kind of what you want to see. So if there's anything to me, it didn't necessarily change the expectation. It cert- but it gave the it gave the option for there to be higher expectations in the fall, if that makes any sense. Uh, Ferber, let's go over to you. What? Anything about this this spring change anything for you, or do you, or is it really just all window dressing and nothing really matters until they get to to winning games? Nothing really matters. It's it's a never ending chasm. Chasm, Blackness. good word. No, I'm just kidding. Um, no, it hasn't really changed that much. I mean, uh, it hasn't changed that much because I'm not letting it. <laughs> because you know, I, I mean, honestly, I'm a little bit like quietly optimistic that they're gonna make some strides, but. I need to see it. No, you know? I get it. I get it's it. Been, it's been too long. I've been burned too many times. I get it. I get it. And I'm, I'm guessing if we, uh, if, we, if we drill into Dave's brain right now, he's thinking the exact same thing. Dave, let's ask you the question, though. Uh, anything this spring that, that changed your expectations for the fall? <laughs> um, ditto? No. Um, I will say the one thing outside of – I think the defense is going to be more versatile. Um, last year, you know, the 3-4 – is a unique unique defense, and if you get the right guys, you can just go into base three four and face any defense. But I mean, face any offense and be pretty effective. But last year, you know, look, we had we had juice at, at the nose, which we'd probably love to have again this year. But when you have a three four, you're not able to run it run a lot of blitz or a lot of surprise pressures out of it. It's not as effective as it can be. So I, I think we're going to be better defensively just because we know the defense better. Does that translate to wins? I don't know. Um, the thing I was most encouraged about, which may make me kind of – I'm in the same boat as you guys. I, I'm kind of in a show-me state with this team. But the fact that the coaches were able and have publicly said multiple times where they failed last year, you know, identifying talent, putting them in the right positions, discovering too late what OZ brought to the table um, – you know, all the fact that they're willing to admit that when they don't have to, and we've seen a dr- drastic change in the practice emphasis of spring, shows me that you know they're not stubborn and egotistical enough not to change. Um, heck, I mean, this time last year we were talking what go hard, go fast, whatever it was with whatever it is, whatever it was. Um, I think it was go hard and go fast um, for the offense, and this year we're, we're huddling up because that's the way the team's better. So, look. That that would be my biggest positive we've seen, but still two and ten, we got to be better. Yeah, I thought Atawaya in the in that when we talked to him after the practice the other day, he was talking about his guys. and He's like, "Well, hey, you're still two and ten, you know, and you need to never forget it." And I thought, yeah, that's that's actually not a bad idea. All right, let's let's flip over to the to the hoop side where Virginia basketball picked up a commitment uh, in the last few days. Um, unfortunately, super late. At, well, super late for those old people <laughs> like me. Um, super late at night, and uh, Francesco Badoshi in in uh, in the class of 2017. Uh, I, I want to start with sort of a general um, maybe way to look at this. I, I know that there has been um, uh, what a voracious kind of conversation on the message board about this, um, <laughs> to say the least. I, I think there there are plenty of fans who want. Who, who believe the program is at a place where it, it's both about, you know, want to bring in the best player, but also uh, there's an element of 
I want to have I want to I want to recruit a high level and bring in all these star players and stuff. This kid, not necessarily uh, to to that end, um, an injury seemed to keep him out of travel ball. He um, played in a relatively um, uh, maybe a relatively low firepower sort of league in high school. Um, an Italian kid in Kansas uh, decides to to go to Virginia. Um, I, I'm. I'm kind of looking at this from the standpoint of I just don't see any negatives to it. I, I just don't see any problem with it. You, you've got a kid who you think could possibly develop into the type of player that matches an Akil Mitchell. Uh, you have scholarships to use. There's no there's no rush uh, for him to be anything other than who he is. Maybe you, you get him you get him on on grounds, and then hey, by the by the fall, maybe you think you might even play him. Who knows? But you're probably going to redshirt him. Um, it doesn't change anything for you in 18. I just don't see any negatives. How do we feel? How do you guys feel about that commitment and sort of, uh, you know, the addition of him? Do you like it? Do you dislike it? Where, where, how, where do you kind of fall on that? Uh, Ferber, let's start with you. Uh, I mean, I'm cool with it. Uh, we talked about this before. It's one of those things where I kind of trust their eye for evaluation. And, um, you know, if they take a if they take a guy that you know maybe comes out of nowhere or, or maybe looks like he might be you know a little under recruited, I trust them. I mean, I trusted them with guys like uh, like Jared Reuter, you know, who's not with the program anymore. But I mean, the the past performance has kind of shown that more often than not, those guys they're they're hitting on those guys or at least um, identifying what kind of players they are early and figuring out where they're going to fit into the program. So, I mean, like you said, I think he's got some attributes that he definitely can bring to the, I mean, they can get, they can get something out of him. I'm not exactly sure what it is though. I mean, he could be a couple of different things. He could be an Akil Mitchell type. He seems like if he could, you know, maybe improve his shooting a little bit, he could be even better. Like from an outside shooting perspective, I mean, he could bring all kinds of different stuff to the table. So, um, I mean, I think it's an interesting addition, and it's good that you know he's going to be able to sit a year, and, and they don't. I don't think they're going to really need him to um, come right in and do anything. But um, at the same time, I think you know they they got the scholarships, they had all those transfers. I mean, might as well use them. Yeah, I don't think they're particularly zealous in this. I mean, I think that they're doing the right thing. I think your point about um, development is is pretty spot on. I mean, they have been they have been pretty good. Um, more often than not, when when they take kids that that maybe some guys, maybe fans or or even folks on the message board haven't seen a lot of, haven't heard a lot about, isn't maybe they're not quite as highly as rated. It's funny because the 16 class was at the beginning just you know two kids who who had a a, a chance to be really good, and then they got Sasha for a while, and they're like, okay, well, you know. They're, they're, they're in a good spot. But that class ended up being a whole lot better at the end than it maybe started out as a start. I wonder if this kid had a lot more time. Um, and, I mean, obviously, age-wise, you know, he, he, it's, his, it's, it's time for him to go to the next level. But I just wonder if, 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 we had, if they had taken him earlier and then he had been able to play travel ball and stuff, uh, what that would have been like. Dave, what about you? How do, how do you feel about the, the addition of one Francesco uh, Badoshi? I mean, you're looking at even with his addition, you're looking at four open scholarships for you know the 2019 team. Um, five. So I mean, I've tried to. Uh, yeah, sorry. Five. It's still five. Um, it's still five. Yeah. I'm, now I'm like going back on my math. Anyway, uh, yeah. So I mean, I, I've tried to look at it 
and how he fits what we'll what we'll have not on eighteen but in nineteen. You know, we're looking at Droman Guy, Hunter and Anthony, Salt Diakite, Huff and and now Badochi. I mean, does he really? You know, I think I agree with Justin. We don't know what he's going to be. Is he going to be a you know an Isaiah Wilkins type? You know, a hustle guy who's a little undersized, um, or is he going to grow a little bit and be more of a, a you know? Either one of those would be good, um, especially when you're looking at you know what we hope Diakite will turn into be, especially two years from now, and then Huff. Um, like, if we had one scholarship available for 2019 and we were lacking, you know, a point guard, maybe I'd be upset about this, but it, it makes sense. And I, I think this staff just, you know, we, we talk about show me in football. Well, the staff has showed us, so I mm, give them a lot true. of leeway. Um, and you know, it, it, it makes good sense for me because I think when you, when you look at the guys we have, it's kind of that all around multi-purpose defense first guy that is probably missing from the roster after the 2018. Right. I want to I want to go in a little bit of a different direction here, and I want to talk about this idea of bird in hand recruiter, because there's been a lot of conversation on the board, and and I want to make I want to make a couple things clear, and I want then I want to get some feedback from you guys. So I think that we're all two ships passing in the night, right? Because I see people talk about bird in hand as meaning one thing, and, and then bird in hand is another thing. I think it's I think it's it's good to, to kind of frame the, the debate here and this and what, by doing that what I hope to, to achieve is sort of everybody's talking about the same thing right because some people think bird in hand means going out and finding a dude and then I think some people mean think bird in hand means using all your scholarships and that's not necessarily the same thing and I, honestly I don't think Virginia's doing either or um, I think what Tony has always tried to do is if he's got a scholarship and he and he continues to recruit because. He is a bird in hand recruiter. He continues to recruit. A lot, of, a lot of schools are like that. If they have a scholarship, they're continuing to recruit. But he's a bird in hand recruiter in the sense that he would rather take a guy who he has already offered, who he likes, who he thinks fits, versus waiting to see uh, whether other either other guys in the same class make a decision. So player A is a guy that I really that he really likes a lot, but this kid's not ready to decide. And player B is a player that that he, I really like a lot. But I like player A better, so I'm going to wait until player A decides before I really move on player B. Well, Tony doesn't do it like that. He offers the kids who fit what he wants, um, the kids who he, he thinks can not both on and off the court, however you want to describe it. And then once he does, it's a first-come, first-serve kind of deal. Now, there are definitely times, I think, where Virginia continues to recruit a kid and evaluate them, even though they're not ready to offer. But once that happens, once Tony's out there, he's ready. And he's not it, – it, while he – it's human to have a, a pecking order, so to speak, like in 18. Like, I think Quinterly's the guy they want the most. But that's not to say if, if a kid they've already offered at point guard, like if Emmanuel quickly wanted to come, I don't think they tell him no, right? But it, the point is is that when I say bird in hand, when, when, when people talk about him being a bird in hand, that's what they mean, is that it's not just he's going to go out and take a guy or that he has to fill his scholarships. It's that he, he, once he offers, he takes the, f- the first kid who wants to come of the group of kids who, who he has offered. And I think it's important for people to understand that because that's not what happened with Badoshi. Like, that's not what happened. Like, they didn't just take him because they had a scholarship. They took him because he was a kid they'd been doing some invest- investigating on. They had the opportunity to take him, and they think he can be something, and they think he fits. It wasn't like they just walked out and were like, all right, you know what? We got a whole bunch of scholarships to use. Let's go find a dude, right? And then somebody called him and were like, hey, well, there's this Italian kid in Kansas you guys should go check out. And they were like, all right, fine, let's just take him. Like, that's not how it happened. 
And and I know that's a simplistic sort of argument, and and I'm I'm pretty sure that nobody really thought about like that. But that's that's generally right the the sort of thing I've been reading about, and that's just I'm in the ward, and that's just not true. Like bottom line is, um, I, I think the only thing you're going to see change is filling up scholarships. I think in the past they have if they had a scholarship available, and like in the 18 class, they might have tried to fill them because they were trying to to have as many options and as many weapons as they could find. Um, but I don't think now on the average that you're going to see them fill up every class. I think having a scholarship open is not a bad idea. Think of them as 12 instead of 13. And that might help them in terms of transfers because ultimately what you're having now is just guys who are never going to play, right? Um, not necessarily because they were untalented, just because they're just so many dudes. And at some level you can't play 13 guys. You can't keep 13 kids happy. Um, so, with all that said, let me let me open it up to you guys. Do you feel do you feel like Virginia has to change up its recruiting? Looking at eighteen going forward, um, it, are, are are folks more overreacting to the transfers again? Uh, how how do we how do we feel about about the the sort of recruiting uh, roadmap uh, going forward? Ferber, let's start with you. How do you feel about this whole idea of bird in hand and and whatnot? I mean, I think honestly, it just depends on the kit, like which players. Um, I don't mind them doing it if they feel like you know, uh, kid A ceiling might be a little bit higher than you know player B. Um, so maybe player A would be our preference, but at the end of the day, we need to make sure you get one. And that's the important thing is that you don't get left with nobody, because um, then you do end up having to pick players that you know you, you you're scrapping the bottom of the barrel at least from an ACC talent perspective. Um, Obviously, you can find kids that don't have a lot of offers that are good players, but um, I think that you know, like they 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 have waited on some. I mean, for the most part, they seem to be willing to kind of like cut cut bait it and move on and find another player that they like or go with another player they've already offered. But I mean, in the, they waited on Austin Nichols um, the first time. Uh, you know, they waited on Noah Dickerson this time. Um, they could have. I mean, Porter. Right. I mean, yeah, I mean, exactly. So it's like it's not like it's it's like all or nothing. I think if you have a guy like a Michael Porter or a Kyle guy um, that you feel like can be or a Justin Anderson, um, who you feel like could be like a program changing, defining player um, or somebody that is a significant upgrade over the next available option that might be a little bit more interested. I think you can wait. But at the same time, I mean, you can't wait forever because then you end up. You, you could end up losing both players, and that has happened. I mean, I'm not saying on purpose, but you know, they're, they're kind of recruiting two players, and one player they're kind of hoping commits, and he doesn't, and then another player that's kind of the backup plan, um, you know, ends up going somewhere else because he's just getting more interest from another school or, or doesn't want to wait around any longer. I mean, it happens with quarterbacks all the time. Um, you know, they can there can only be one quarterback per school, so they kind of you know, they gravitate towards the playing time. And I think basketball players think the same way. So I think you kind of have to do both. I think you have to kind of be somewhere in the middle. Yeah, I think there definitely been guys, and I mentioned this on the board too, that like that they could have had. Like if, if all it was about was just adding dudes, they would have had them. Like Chris Clark, I, I think if Virginia offers him, there were, there were months and months there where he was, I don't want to say waiting on a Virginia offer, but if Virginia had offered, it would have been a done deal. Um, James Robinson. Right, they waited for a long time to get in on James Robinson because they weren't sure if he fit. When they were, they made a move, um, and then ultimately he didn't. He didn't pick him. You know, I think I think that's the um, that's the that's the biggest piece of the of the pie is that like uh, 
if you think about it, that's a that's a situation where kids are out there, and it's and it's well known that they're out there. Um, it's not like Virginia didn't know they could get Chris Clark. It's not like they didn't know they couldn't they could get James Robinson. But I think Ferber's right in some respects. I, I I don't know if I don't know how much waiting. I mean, I do think that they cut bait when they when they aren't getting traction with the kid, and they just it's not so much that they stop recruiting him; it's that they stop they essentially listen to the kid, and if kids aren't they're not returning your calls and, and it, it's clear that, that that kid's trending somewhere else. You, you don't put any in, 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 you don't put any energy into it and you move on. But I think ultimately the guys that T, that Tony takes is they, they're guys that, that, that fit his system. Now he might have wanted other guys first, right? He might have seen players A, B, and C earlier and been quicker or you know he got into play sooner where he offered them. But I don't think ultimately that that really changes a whole lot. What do you feel? How do you feel, Dave? What does this, what's this all mean to you? It seems like a much ado about nothing to me, quite frankly. And I don't mean to diminish the topic. I just, like, I found myself when I'm reading these threads thinking, like, have we been recruiting two-star players to win recently? Is Tony, like, not shown the ability to, A, attract, you know, top 100 talent, or B, identify guys who aren't highly rated who turn out to be very good. I mean, he's done both. Um, and we have transfers like every other program in the country. So it, it seems to be – I was reminded – this Badochi stuff reminds me of a lot. Now, the timing's a little different. But, I mean, I think we'd all agree probably that the player we're most – or it's one of the top three or four we're interested to see next year is going to be Huff, who if you go back to when he committed, it was, why is Tony taking this guy when we've got so many open scholarships and, you know, we need to be recruiting better players. And now we're all excited about what Huff can bring. Um, I mean, the staff, is, they've had a, a miss or two, but even Roy, like, I'm trying, I was trying to think while you were talking, like, who's probably the biggest miss the, the staff has made since they've been established. And oh, uh, maybe, um, I mean, I think it might be Reuter. Yeah, he um, probably is the guy. But, but if you think back to that time frame, that was a situation yeah. where they were in, they had one scholarship. Uh, they were looking to use, and I mean, look, I, I think that ultimately, you're right. Is like I do think it's in some ways much to do about nothing. I, I think that it's partly because um, it's a status thing for a lot of. I think a lot for a lot of fans, and I don't necessarily begrudge them. I, I I think that for a lot of fans, getting the getting the best players is both indicative of future success, right? But also too, it's fun, right? It's fun to have your school have, you know. Five four-star players or four or four stars on five. Like, it's fun. Like, I get that. But we literally just signed guys. But that's, a, that's the weird <laughs> thing about this conversation <laughs> popping up now, right? It's that they, they're coming off of the 16 class, which was the best class in recent memory. And I, and I say it that way so that people, like, old heads don't start throwing tomatoes at my face. <laughs> and, but then at the same time, look at 18. Like, they are involved with the highest-ranked players I mean, I, I, every time we update the Rivals 150, I go down through and I break down all, and there are like 15 dudes in the top 100 that they're involved with, like seriously involved with. I'm not putting up names of guys who just have like interest or maybe even a random offer. Like I'm putting in dudes that like they're seriously considering uh, Virginia, and like that list has actually grown. Like you think about it in the last few days, they've offered several other kids: the Dotson kid, the Reeves kid, the Duke kid. Like these are all you know high level players in this class. And I know I've said in several places, um, including on uh, WINA um, last night, that that they that even though the 18 class uh, it, it, you got a whole bunch of highly rated players, a lot of these kids 
wouldn't quite be what they are if they were in another class. But that doesn't change the fact that this is the crop of players that you have right now. And so these are the better of the players, right, of the group. And so, like, Virginia is as actively involved with highly rated players as probably any class. And so I understand, like, maybe Marco Anthony wasn't the guy uh, rankings-wise that maybe wanted, but did you see he tore it up. Like, he tore it up, and he fit the need perfectly for what they were looking for when they, when they got him. They go out and they get Nigel Johnson, who I think was probably one of the best, like, two or three point guard uh, grad transfers in the country. They went out and addressed a specific need with a specific skill set and a guy, frankly, that they haven't had, a guy who can really finish at the rim at the guard position. And then they went out. Look, Noah Dickerson ultimately decided to, to, to stay uh, out at, at Washington, but, like, he was the best power forward transfer on the board. Like, they weren't, they're not just, like, sitting around, like, just picking dudes. And, and I get some of the frustration, but at the same time, I'm like, I, I'm never going to be one of these people like you shouldn't question the coaches because I think that's dumb. Like, of course you can. It's a message board. That's what you're supposed to do. But, like, on some level it's about facts. Like, they matter, and you don't get to choose them. Um, and I think the facts show that Virginia hasn't been doing, the, doing, doing a poor job when it comes to recruiting. Um, I realize I, I somehow or another I managed to steal some of your time, so feel free to, to add on to that if you would like. No, I'd just like to point out, I mean, I mean, if you want to compare yourselves in recruiting, like if you want to recruit elite people, you're, you're going to compare to Duke and Kentucky, who at this point both have zero commitments for 2018. Oh, and, 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 uh, uh, it turns out, turns out that, that, that Coach K just took a kid in 17 who, like, what was it, like, Western Kentucky? There was some, it was some yeah. random, like, he was like Duke and, and like, and he just kind of swooped in and took him. And, Look, I'm not saying that 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 that, that sh- what Shashevsky does should be the, the gold standard. That's not my point. My point is is that like everybody to some extent recruits guys um, that fit their systems, and I and I sometimes wonder if fans really genuinely think that like that like the coaches go to these events and they go, okay, I'm watching this kid's play, and that kid right there looks looks like a kid I want to talk to because he, he he he's a big guy who can score in the post and I like his feet. Maybe maybe I'm wondering whether or not he's got uh, what his transcript looks like. Maybe I'm wondering whether or not there are schools that are already entrenched in his recruitment. There are a lot of factors that come in that. But I'm promising you, rankings are just not one of them. Like, I, I, Tony Bennett probably couldn't care less about how highly ranked a kid is. Like, I promise you, he wants the players that fit. He, he scours the, the teams. He watches kids. There's no doubt that the rankings may um, – may play a role in terms of, like, maybe an early indication of, like, okay, who are the best players? You know, like, if you went to an event and you didn't know you, these were guys you necessarily haven't scouted, maybe you'd say, okay, who's the best player? Marvin Bagley's here? Okay, let's go watch his team. Like, because you maybe know he's the number one player in the country. But, like, realistically, like, the rankings are – like, I don't think that Tony's going to look at, like, oh, there are these two players I'm recruiting. Well, one of them is a five-star. One of them's a four-star. I guess i got to go after the five-star. It's about which kid he thinks fits. Like, coaches just don't pay attention to that. It's a it's a largely fan driven um, thing. I mean, like that's really why stars and rankings are, are happen. It's for fans. It has nothing to do with anything because ultimately, and I've said this before in the past, like we don't like in recruiting terms, like nobody matches like a player to a system. Like you can say, okay, Ty Jerome fits Tony Bennett like a glove, right? In a variety of ways. So. If, if, if Ty Jerome had committed to school A, right, that he's this star recruit because he doesn't – that system's a little weird for him 
and maybe they're asking him to do some things he, he might not be able to do naturally. Whereas he commits to Virginia, now he's this kind of recruit. Because some of this, some of this, their, their game, right, is impacted by fit, but also potential, right? Your potential, if you fit Tony's system in to be with, with Virginia, is, is, is different than your potential if you fit Tony's system and you play elsewhere. So I just think that the rankings thing is, is a, is a, it has to be barometer, but it's not, it's not going to be, it's not going to be the actual, um, the map, right? It's the lines on the ground, but it's not the map. And I think that's important to keep in mind as we talk about who they're recruiting, who they're not. Like, I don't think you're going to see kids, uh, see Virginia going after a lot of like two-star kids. Why? Because we're pretty good at what we do. Like, we're pretty good at our job. We, we, we typically, we find guys. That doesn't mean that there isn't, you know, an Akeel Mitchell who fits a system, and next thing you know, he ends up being an ACC Defensive Player of the Year. Like, nobody saw that coming. But, I mean, it wasn't like he was a two-star either. You know what I mean? Yeah. I, just, I just think that ultimately Virginia has, has done really well in the 16 class. Even though they don't have any commitments in 18, they're, they're poised to do well in that class too. And some of this is, is, is hand-wringing about just the, the lack of maybe Final Fours or just overall team success the last few seasons at the end of the year. Um, and, and, and I understand it, but at the same time, I hope folks aren't, um, holding hard and fast to the, to that, to that reasoning. And, uh, I think that might be, uh, might be a good place to put a pin in it. Um, anything you got left, Dave, for the good of the order? No, thanks for letting me join late. <laughs> <laughs> he only missed about eight minutes of the show. So, <laughs> yeah. so you got a good 30, 35 minutes in. That's, that's not bad. Uh, I want to thank Dave for, for being willing to join the show even late. I want to thank Ferber as well, um, though he also had to dip out. This was like the, the the most interesting night of like logistics we've had. But we made it work, and that's good. Uh, also want to thank everybody out there for giving us a listen. As always, thanks you, thank you for your support. Thank you for continuing to, um, to give us some of your time as well. So for Justin Ferber, for David Smith, I'm Brad Franklin, publisher of CapsCorder.com. Thanks for coming out. We'll see you soon. <laughs>